Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite. Hi, I'm Baji Illuminati, VP of Marketing at Social Native. In this podcast, we interview some of today's top marketers to find out exactly how the campaigns they're most proud of were made. Welcome to Made by Marketing. Hi, everyone. I'm here today with Abby Walker, the Digital and Social Marketing Manager at One Brands. Today, we're going to be talking about standing out in a competitive market, creating a UGC strategy, and working with partners to amplify your brand. With that, I want to dive in and get started. So Abby, I'm going to kick it over to you. Can you tell us a little bit more about One Brands and who your target audience is? Yeah, One Brands is a 20 gram protein, one gram of sugar protein bar that focuses on lifestyle and integrating this bar into your everyday diet. I love it. So the one stands for one gram of sugar? Yeah, correct. I see. So then is that like a core part of your messaging around leading with a health first message? Yeah. I mean, it's really something that we strive to focus on is like, how can we fit into your diet where you're active, you're building the best life for you and um, for your health. So we're just hoping that, you know, less sugar, people are always trying to find ways that they can incorporate these different dietary restrictions and where one brands can fit into that. Yeah. And it's a good time to be in that market. I mean, you guys are really leading the way and now we're seeing so many more healthy or niche or kind of alternative brands popping up. And there's been some pretty massive market acquisitions as well. Like just looking in your space specifically with the Kellogg's acquisition of RX bar. So how are you guys staying ahead and differentiating yourself in such a competitive field? Yeah, I mean, we do a lot of testing. We really try and look at what our fans are gravitating towards versus exactly what the competitors do. We found our niche kind of with our animated kinetics, and it just kind of set apart our creative and people gravitated towards it on the advertising front. I mean, Social Natives has helped us greatly with just finding out, like, are our consumers gravitating towards males? Are they gravitating towards females? Do they like the product in hand or are they looking for more lifestyle imagery? We also try and make sure our bars are high end, but affordable at the same time. And it all goes back to quality of ingredients. And I like what you said about focusing on the market and what consumers want versus what your competitors are doing. So social native is 
one of the ways you do that. How do you kind of, how do you work with us to get that feedback from consumers and to kind of let the market lead the narrative? Yeah. I mean, in all honesty, user generated content is growing and it's in high demand. People are looking for feedback and how the bars will fit into their lives. And we do that organically and naturally through user generated content like social native. We want people to post about our bars that actually eat our bars, enjoy our bars and use our bars versus, hey, we'll give you X amount of dollars if you just post about it. It really, really has to be a natural and organic fit for us. Consumers can see right through it now if it's fake or pushed upon them. And I think that's where user-generated content and platforms like Social Native have become so impactful into our daily marketing objectives. So does that mean that you've identified the specific user that you know is a good fit for your brands and then you approach them for collaborations? Or are you still kind of opening it up to multiple people to kind of learn who the perfect user for your brand is? I would say it's the second part of that. I mean, we know who some of our core demographics are for sure. But on the flip side, we don't want to close out these markets that we could grow or there's an audience that we've never tapped into yet. We never are closing ourselves off. We start at one point and if it's not resonating with the product, with our fans, then we're more than happy and willing to be flexible to adjust that. Have you learned anything interesting? Like, have you had any surprises or have you kind of learned anything about your consumer base based on the reaction to the campaigns that you're inviting them to? It's interesting. You find these people who just gravitate towards specific flavors, which is always my favorite part of these types of campaigns with Social Native. You have the sweet tooth, you have the savory tooth, you have people who literally just love the birthday cake bar because it has sprinkles versus, you know, I can't get enough of peanut butter and chocolate, so peanut butter cup is my favorite. I always gravitate towards what they have to say about it. And it's, you know, like I said, it's all organic and natural at the end of the day. So they're telling their opinion versus us saying, say this or say that. Yeah, that's so interesting. And it's kind of like a trend we've seen emerge in a lot of the campaigns we're running where brands are using the creators as like a focus group to hear what consumers are saying about the product and when they're eating it in this case or how they're wearing it and what their feedback is and which specific products use they're gravitating towards. It seems like a good way to kind of have a very organic focus group that can scale out to hundreds in a pretty efficient way. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. And we've had such great success that it's gone beyond hundreds and even reaching thousands of people. I mean, we've even had some people on the wait list to try our product through social natives. So that's always a good thing to hear is when people are excited about the product and want to be part of the growth of this brand. Can you kind of explain to our guests, how does the process work from the campaign ideation and like the first campaign you've run with Social Native? And then how do you think about setting up the brief and what content guidelines you want to give and who you want to invite and what product you're going to send to them? So can you kind of just like talk us through the whole process? Yeah, and it is honestly a mix of all different factors that go into how we set up our Social Native campaigns. Our first campaign was literally brand awareness. We didn't tie it into retailer. It was more like, let's figure out what's working. It was not based off of um, engagement. And we kind of wanted to see what content's working, how people are engaging with those pieces of content. 
And if people are even familiar with our brand, you know, and always a goal of ours is household penetration. Do people know who we are? So brand awareness was a big part of it. For campaign number two, we focused on two retailers, which in hindsight, you know, moving forward, we're just going to focus on one, make that a priority, do another retailer, make that a priority versus combining it into one campaign. From there, I mean, we have specific guidelines, you know, we want it to fit organically into your lifestyle. We love those bold pop of colors. We want your honest feedback. And most importantly, you know, we want you to share it with your fans and engage. And we try and comment on all those posts that people are posting and make sure that we are we're seeing the work that they're doing. So for the campaign number two, in what way did you collaborate with retailers? Yeah, so we told the contributors to go out and post at a retailer, buy the bar at the retailer, and post about that retailer tagging them and saying you can find these specific flavors at these specific retailers. And then do you reuse that content with co-branding for that retailer, or is it just to create awareness that you're present within those retailers? I would say it's a mixture of both. Some of the stuff that resonates really well with the influencer and their audience doesn't necessarily resonate exactly on our social feeds or our website, but if we can integrate those photos, we definitely do. I hear a lot of feedback that influencer content like works even better than traditional content on social channels, but are you guys seeing that it doesn't necessarily work as well on your feed as it does on the individual's feed? Yeah, because the people who are posting for us, those influencers, they have a loyal following. Those people trust them. And necessarily then when it's coming over to our you know, brands, they do have that stigma of always pushing advertising where if you're following an individual, you're hoping they're being true and authentic. So we kind of look for more of those creative photos that are more about the bar versus, you know, the influencer themselves, because the influencer is doing such a great job on their own channels, promoting who they are organically and what they enjoy. But we definitely have some major crossovers, especially when it's for product occasion use. So then if we're looking at your overall content strategy, other than UGC, what other channels do you use to generate content? And then what type of content performs best on each channel? And is there like a different aesthetic that works well based on the channel and the content format? Definitely. And, you know, we're, we're always evaluating what creative works best, what on what platform, Instagram, you know, it is a little more user-generated content specific. People are looking for that feedback. Instagram stories are growing, but people kind of want to see themselves in the Instagram stories. So you use a lot of what our fans post and they get really excited that a brand shared, you know, their information and what their post was. Facebook is a little, it's, you know, they're changing their algorithm constantly. It's harder to get people to see your stuff. So You know, that one's a little more focused solely on the product. And then we have our website where we're integrating a mixture of both lifestyle and product specific. And then our advertising, we're incorporating, again, kind of the same lifestyle or product specific, depending on where those advertisements are being placed. And do you create the lifestyle content or is that like interchangeable with the UGC content? Uh, No, most of that is in-house versus user-generated content. 
How does the process vary in terms of the creative ideation and execution when like running a content creation campaign in-house versus activating influencers? Yeah, in-house, I mean, you're trying to make your bar look like a beautiful thing in the world, you know? You want people to see like what you have to offer because you only get that one second. And um, truly, I believe that user-generated content, people are willing to listen to you, read more about it and understand why I should invest my time and effort into this. So I do think they serve two different purposes for sure. And then working with social native creators, has anything emerged as kind of like best practices and strategies that you'll implement going into future campaigns? You know, Veronica and Brett have done such a great job that from campaign number two, it was almost step and repeat. This time around for campaign three, we added a coupon code, hoping to generate a little more excitement around the product and see if we can coordinate it to sales. But other than that, it's been pretty, you know, like this is how we talk about the brand. These are the type of images that other people have posted that, you know, one brands resonates with. So in hindsight, we do actually copy and paste, you know, from campaign to campaign. And we'd like to give those influencers kind of the freedom to create what they want. It's an indicator of what we see in some of the most successful campaigns is when you really are empowering the creators and giving them creative freedom to express themselves. And then that's when the content's most authentic and the engagement's the highest because people feel like it's really connected. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I mean, there's this whole world right now where that's what people want to know is authenticity. And if it's real, no one wants to waste their time and purchase something that doesn't taste great. Totally. I have a couple questions specific to areas that you touched on earlier. So first one is the third campaign that you're running right now. You mentioned you're going to use coupon codes to to try to prove ROI. So talk to us a little bit about how are you, are you using coupon codes for each individual creator? Are they putting that link in their bio? How are you kind of rolling that out? Um, We actually just implemented it to where they can put it in their copies. So when people check out, they are able to just type in that coupon code versus a link in their bio. It's a small test. I'm not sure where the ROI will get us, but it would be nice to see if we could put, you know, some return on investment per post and redemptions. Yeah. And that's like the final step for so many brands when thinking about their influencer strategy, because oftentimes there's so many lasting benefits of it from the content and the positive brand sentiment and the engagement. But that final step of proving ROI is so important for all marketers. Agree. We're a big brand, but we're still growing for people knowing our names. And so that at the end of the day, it's still important for us, for people to know who we are, so then they can go out and buy us. So brand awareness is still a big part for it, but we're hoping to, like I said, get some ROI out of it. Are you guys sold just in store or online as well? Um, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're in uh, most major retailers across the country, convenience stores, mass locations like Walmart and Target. And then yeah, you can find us on Amazon as well. So in terms of your digital and social strategies, do you kind of focus either on pushing people towards a certain retailer or in-store or pushing them online? Or is it really just about getting the brand awareness, creating the demand, and then it doesn't really matter where they buy from? You know, I think that has a couple layers to it. It kind of depends on what product they're looking for 
And if they're just trying to try that product, are we running promotions? Um, because we are still a brand trying to, you know, get our name out there. Some people don't want to buy a massive box full of just one flavor. They want to sample and you can drive them into retailers where it is. They can just buy one single bar versus a whole case of bars. But I mean, each retailer has a specific objective, has goals that we're trying to reach. So really, really varies depending on the objective. And then when you're working with a specific retailer, so just in general, but then also like related to the some of the campaigns you've done with Social Native, do they have requirements on how you can advertise and how you can represent their brand? Or do they kind of empower all of their vendors to advocate for their products within the store in whichever they way they want? I would say that most retailers that we work with are very, very supportive of our initiatives to drive people to their retailers, for sure. I haven't really had anyone say, no, don't do that. Um, you know, that's sales for them at the end of the day and foot traffic in their locations. Yeah, definitely. For the second campaign you ran with Social Native, what were the two retailers that you focused on? Yeah, we focused on Target and then Kroger locations throughout the country. We didn't have any of them repurpose it yet that I'm aware of. Would that be a goal of yours? Definitely. And I think that's more of something we're looking into in 2020 is how can we collaborate more so with retailers? Yeah, definitely. It seems like such a good harmony and in their best interest as well to really kind of showcase all of the unique brands they have to get people in store to leverage. If you guys are already creating that content, then they theoretically have access to this whole new world of content that they can start using as well. Agree. And sometimes followers and consumers of ours, they don't realize that that our bars are at that retailer because of where they're located. You know, every store has shelving differently. So it's always nice when we can drive foot traffic and the retailers are repurposing that just because it's so huge to get the name out and, you know, sales. (laughs) Yeah, of course. So then when it comes to back to ROI, when it comes to digital channels, Paid advertising, for instance, is like one of the easiest channels to prove the full funnel attribution. How does it differ when you're looking at online and offline and looking at retailers and implementing all these different marketing strategies across each channel? So how are you kind of looking at the overall attribution of your marketing activities? Yeah, I think there's a couple of factors that go into it. How many locations do they have? Are they in bigger cities? What's their foot traffic? You know, how many dollars in sales? Um, Every dollar counts. It's just harder to put a ton of dollars into something that's a little smaller of a foot traffic versus something where they have locations all over the country, especially when it comes to social media, where you don't know exactly where that person's coming from when they're looking at creative um, unless you get super targeted in your ads. Otherwise, it ha- it helps to be a little more general. And then just kind of look at overall marketing spend in one category and then overall sales in one category and attribute it back to in general to the marketing activities. Correct. And, and it's seasonal too, right? People are looking for healthier alternatives. They're starting their journey back into health and fitness. So you want to cap moments like that, you know, and then springtime hiking, going outdoors. How can we be a part of that journey? And so we implement those strategies into promotions 
throughout retail as well. And then in your world, do you oversee the organic social paid social website? Yeah. So how does the kind of messaging, the creative, how does the strategy change on a channel by channel basis? Yeah, I would say for us, social media is a little more whimsical. It's a little more playful. Our website is a little more business. It's who we are, what we do, where you can find us. We're trying to capture exactly those questions that people are asking in a short period of time. Yeah, and paid media, it kind of depends on, again, too, what our goals and objectives are. Are we launching a new flavor in a retailer? Are we launching just a new flavor in general? We want people to buy it online. Are we expanding our portfolio? I mean, are we just doing general brand awareness? They're really that that one paid advertising just varies depending on what our goal is for that. And then within paid advertising specifically, how has your strategy evolved? Like, have you run tests and learned that some content performs better than others or some copy or messaging performs better than others? Or is it more just generally seasonal or related to the campaigns you're running? No, not at all. Um, it. I mean, that is that is evergreen. We are, That's changing constantly. We're changing our target audiences. We're changing up creative. Um, I mean, it's kind of where we learned a little bit on our organic feed, you know, this style of photography and, you know, a person without the bar doesn't do so well as a person with the bar. This target audience has seen this ad X times, then we need to change that out. So they're seeing that we're staying relevant and up to date and understand that they can get bored of the content that we're pushing at them. So yeah, no, that that is ever changing our advertising, our target audiences, our copy, our creative. We've also learned for the most part on the brand side for us, shorter copy is better copy for our fans. Shorter copy is better copy. And then another thing I heard is that having the product prominent focused is better? Is that a common thing you see across all the creative? Uh, I would say yes, for the most part. Yeah. When it's organic, when it's paid, it's a little bit different. We we can have lifestyle and it'd be okay without the product. It kind of really, really just depends on the placement and we make sure that the right creative is going into the right placement. But we do A-B tests constantly just to make sure that we are getting the right content there. Yeah, I love that. And do you see that different content and tone performs better in different stages of the funnel? Like, do you have a different strategy for brand awareness that you than you have for acquisition? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So brand awareness, I mean, you need people to understand what you are quickly if they don't know who you are. You know, we're 20 grams protein, one gram of sugar, and we don't compromise in taste. I mean, that's what we want people to know right up front. Right up front. Consideration is those people who have kept coming back. So what is it? What is that creative that's just going to push them over to purchase? Then you have the people who have purchased and how can we get them to be a repeat customer? So, so definitely there, there is a funnel and a creative for each line of creative. Of all the testing and all the campaigns, what would you say is your top performing ad in terms of creative copy? Right now we have, um, she's, uh, she models for our dark chocolate sea salt protein bar and she's on a spin bike and it's these quick little snapshots of her on the bike and then she's eating the bar and it's about six seconds long and it's crushing it for us but it's got that bold pop of color to stand out in the feed it's really quick people understand 20 grams of protein one gram of sugar 
and it kind of does the job for us. And it sounds like kind of aspirational too. It's like, I want to be on a bike. I want to be fit. Like this is something that I can achieve. Yeah, correct. And yeah, yeah. So you have that fold of like, I want to be there. I want to be doing that. I understand how the bars bigger people use it. And also kind of looks delicious. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds pretty good. (laughs) Do you find that, do you see any difference in performance across like male or female or age range or location? Yeah. And again, we're always trying to expand upon that. I mean, we mostly target women, but from there, I mean, there's still a huge group of men who are super athletic, you know, who are bodybuilders or they have a huge sweet tooth that don't want to eat a candy bar, you know, demographic. There, there, There's so much out there that we're just starting to tap into, like, how can we expand upon this? But right now our creative kind of gears a little more on the feminine side. Are the campaigns we've been talking about, are they primarily on Facebook or Instagram, or do you kind of optimize based on performance across both platforms? I, we optimize across both platforms. There's Google, Pinterest. Amazon. And that's one of our goals for 2020 is like, should we be on additional platforms? Does it make sense to expand our budget? Should we not? Yeah. And it's so interesting too, to how quickly it fluctuates, because if your performance is going up on one platform, then other advertisers are flocking to that platform. So then prices go up on that platform. So then advertisers move to a different platform. And then it just like kind of, it's so fluid and it's always changing that I feel like it's such a dynamic role that every day you're learning something new about how to optimize and how to improve. Yes, there's that. And then on top of it, the platforms itself will change their algorithms or they'll change out a layout and then it disrupts your ad sizing. Uh, <laughs> so it is, it is every day. It is a constant like battle and change and how do we stay relevant? And how do we make sure that people are seeing what we're paying for? Or organically, how do we get it to organically go up so people can see it in their feed because they opted in to follow us? Yeah, that's been a tricky one. Have you guys cracked the code? I have not, but if you find out anyone that <laughs> let me. <laughs> I should add that as a standing question for every podcast episode. If anyone has answered, just let me know. I'll definitely, you'll be the first person I tell. <laughs> I'll give you so many bars. Okay, deal. I'm going to go out and ask everybody I can find now. <laughs> what percentage of your ad spend right now is on Facebook and Instagram versus the other social channels? You know, that's always changing too. We like to kind of be a nimble brand. Seasonally, you know, summertime, our bars do have a coating. So let's drive people into retailer. So we, so we have seasons and that's going to be social, right? Because um, we're not going to want to drive people to Amazon. So really, really, really just depends seasonally. And we do try and be more fluid with our dollars and where they go and at what time. I wouldn't say it's like a super percentage set. Yeah, that makes sense. You did mention Pinterest. Is that something you're running right now or is that a 2020 plan? That is something we just started. Um, So I don't actually have much feedback on that one. (laughs) What's the goal there? Like, what's your strategy for how you're rolling out your campaigns on Pinterest? Yeah, we're mainly focusing right now on Pinterest as brand awareness. And we're A-B testing with static images, video, minute video, full screen video, and then also where we're driving them and some copy. A-B testing on copy. So should we drive them to 
purchase right away? Should we do more brand awareness and go to our website? So yeah, that's really, really still a beta testing. That's cool though. It seems like you're taking the right approach where you're testing everything from the placement to the creative, to the format, to the stage of the funnel and the end point. So I'll be interested to hear how that rolls out because it's similar. It seems like a lot of brands we're talking to at least are in that same mind frame where they're like, I really think there's something here on Pinterest. Pinterest is investing more in their ad platform and making it more appealing to advertisers. And we're just starting to test it. So it's very early stages for a lot of people. Yeah. And I think it's still one of those platforms where they're figuring out their niche too, especially how brands can capitalize on that. And then like consumers, like they just made a huge update again with the layout and how you pin board. So I I, I think it's a, a little bit of a working relationship with both brand and platform. Yeah. Yeah. But that's also a good opportunity too, because at least in our experience, they want to get creative and they want to test new things and they want to bring on brand partners and technology partners and they want to help accelerate that understanding of what their niche is. Yeah. Yep. I would agree with that for sure. You mentioned different types of creative like image and video. And then earlier you were talking about using UGC in paid. So I'm curious, have you done testing around like UGC versus internal content versus just product shots versus professional? Like, have you tested across creative formats in your ads? A little bit. I would say on the social side, we've brought in some user-generated, but for the most part, it's been professionally shot assets for advertising. But that's not to say that isn't something we're talking about and considering. But I think it's one of those things too, where if you're going to advertise to a mass, it has to be someone where they kind of resonate with. Yeah. I mean, unless you look at it as like lifestyle content, right? Correct. Yeah. If we were looking at it as lifestyle, I would agree. But if we're, you know, hey, this so from, you know, X, but it re- yeah, it really, really just depends. But unfortunately we haven't done much testing there yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so much to test. It's kind of fun and kind of overwhelming at the same time. <laughs> Yes, 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 it is. So we've been doing a lot of testing around trying to identify specific attributes within creative that indicates higher performance down the road. So we're isolating like people in, in the content. And if there's a person, are they making eye contact or are they smiling or are they a female or male and what's their general sentiment? And then indoor, outdoor and aesthetic and color and we have hundreds of thousands of data points right now from all of the assets we run. And it's about really finding, cracking the code. We're trying to crack the code of, is there a specific formula of what makes high performing content? So it's very interesting to me to just like, we, we kind of play this game internally on the marketing team of like, oh, look at all these amazing images and videos we created for this brand. What's your favorite? Or which one do you think is the best? And for me, I'm like, I love this one. And my CEO is like, I love this one. And somebody on my team is like, I love this one. And, and it's so interesting because we're just drawn to one on an individual basis. So it's like finding the science of human reaction and interaction. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and it, it is so crazy because you're you're meshing all these different worlds and cultures and lives all on one platform and people can get super niche. So it, that is getting hard to break into that world and figure out or crack that code. As you said, what is that code to crack? How do you reach 
you know, different audiences, but mass in a mass amount. Yeah. And I mean, I think ultimately it'll get easier and easier with technology because you can down the road do things like identify specific creative attributes that perform within specific segments. So if you're going after like an 18 to 24 year old male who's based in LA, who's interested in this, then this is the content that will perform best amongst that audience segment. Versus if you're going after mom who's based in the Midwest, who's interested in this, like this is the content that will resonate with her. So then technology has evolved to get to a point where we can be so highly targeted in that advertising. Now it's just about kind of matching the creative and creating the internal resources so that it's not so manual and that things like that are really easy to scale. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of nice that you can get so targeted nowadays, and it makes the job way, way more exciting because you get to do all these different facets of the job. So it, it is nice, and it's nice that it's ever evolving as well. It does make it for a lot of work every day, though, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> do you find that the performance justifies the additional work? Like if you're spending the time to create the really highly targeted ad segments and personalized copy and creative, is the performance high enough that it's worth that extra time? Or right now, is it not re- does it not really justify it? Oh, no, I, I think it justifies it. I'm cognitive of having goals set. <laughs> you know, I want to make sure and it, it takes a lot to be like, this is not working. We have to just end it, even though you put so much time and effort, if it's not meeting those goals or the needs of the company. But yeah, no, it's definitely rewarding when you see something work out better than you expect. Yeah. And that's kind of the nature of like the performance driven marketer mind. And sometimes it's so frustrating for me if I like love this ad or I spent so much time on building this strategy and then it just doesn't work. I'm like, damn it. I really was hoping that that would have worked, but you got to set it up and move on. Yeah. I think, I think one of the toughest parts is like, you could love something so much, like everyone's going to love this. I know it. (laughs) And it just like becomes a dead. You're like, yeah. What's with that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Have you had any recent A-B tests that come to mind where you were like shocked with the result? It was actually ABC testing we did. We had our kinetic imagery, which is kind of like floating candy pieces. Then we had a lifestyle image and then we had a top down. And the top down didn't necessarily resonate with as many people as the lifestyle and the animated kinetic did. So, I mean, again, now we have to drop those top downs and that's just the name of the game. Flat lay top down. They've been super trendy for a while. I wonder if that's kind of like people are over it now. Do you think that's an indicator or was it just that specific creative test? You know, it, it, it might be as well because it was on Google. Maybe it doesn't resonate so, so well on Google. But it might, it seems to do well on social and on Amazon um, and our people love it on our website. So I think it really just depends on the platform. On the platform. Yeah. So that was Google display. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Very interesting. So now will you be testing lifestyle versus kinetic and then try to get even more granular? Yep. That's the goal. Love it. Okay, so one last question. Um, You've talked about a couple of things that are like 2020 plans. So what are some of the big things that are on the roadmap for you that you're ultimately going to implement and evolve in the next six to 12 months? Yeah, I mean, there's always 
new products or there's new platforms. I mean, now's a huge thing is like no one owns TVs anymore. So what are ways that we can reach out to people who just use Netflix, who just use Hulu? There's those sort of things. Those are definitely things in the that you can't say no to anymore, right? The cable was king 15 years ago. And now, you know, look at where it's headed. What's after Instagram? It's becoming more costly to be on Instagram. And where are people switching? Is it TikTok? You know, I'm, I'm not sure on that. Is it Pinterest? Did you allocate more dollars there? I mean, again, it's just all about A-B testing. So is it TikTok? Have you guys started doing anything on TikTok? We have not. I'm not sure of our demographics there yet either, but I don't know. It's, it's everywhere, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so weird how addictive it is. Do you have it? I do. It is addictive. So addicting. I like log in to look at one thing quickly and then three hours have passed. I haven't experienced that with a social platform before. Yeah, it's really, and I like how it compiles, like how it puts together videos. I'm like, this is so easy. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly it. It makes the, it's like this theme of everybody can become a content creator. Everybody's got an HD camera in their pocket on their phone and they can create content for brands on Instagram. They can create videos that will get hundreds of thousands of views on TikTok and it's all so accessible now. Yeah. And I mean, another thing is like, who knows where the gaming world is going? Like, it's not just for, you know, middle school, high school kids anymore. Like it's all ages that are and all sexes that are involved in gaming. Like there are just so many outlets now that like we haven't even begun to tap into. Well, we have a wide world of testing and learning and iterating in front of us. I'd love to connect in six months and hear what you think of Pinterest and if you've gone on TikTok and see how things have changed. Okay. So I always like to end it with one like fun personal question. So today I'm going to throw at you, what was the last ad that you converted on, on Facebook or Instagram? What was the last ad I saw on Instagram? Oh, I'm bad. It was a swimsuit. (laughs) Mine was too, actually. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they get me every time. Every <laughs> time, you gotta do it. Yep. Yeah. Was this one? So I was like, oh, I like this one. They're just they do it right. I just love when, like, as an as a marketer and advertiser, when I get an ad that's personalized and targeted, and I convert, it makes me so happy for that advertiser. Yeah. And sometimes I get lost. Like Etsy will send me ads, and then I'm like lost in like a jewelry page. I'm like, how to get here? <laughs> that happens to me like every day. Okay, Abby. Well, thank you so much. This was really interesting. I love just learning your overall thought process of all the different channels you're using, all the different types of content you're using. And it seems like you have a great mindset of like, things are not constant and you always need to be evolving and iterating and testing and learning. And that's something that a lot of people can start working on right away is just testing everything. I agree. Test, test, and more test. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. It was really great to have you on the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.